Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, June 29th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by SlashFilm writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, Chris, let's talk about some news stuff here. Let's talk about two stories from uh, our old pal, or actually your old pal, Quentin Tarantino. You you called him up that one time and did that that interview. Yeah, and he was the best man at my wedding. We're really close. (laughs) That's not true, by the way. (laughs) I did talk to to Quentin Tarantino once on the phone. Yes, so you are now close and personal friends for life. Yeah, Um, he calls me up every weekend. It's great. (laughs) So uh, Tarantino has a new book out, and it is a novelization of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And Chris, I haven't talked to you yet, but I, I think you're going to be doing like a, a review of that book for Slashfilm. Do you, have you had a chance to crack it open yet and, and get into it at all? Yes, I have actually. I actually wrote a thing about uh, the the book actually answers what really happened to Cliff Booth's wife. If you've seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. And that's on Slashfilm.com today. And yeah, I started reading it. And uh, so far it's good. And it's a lot different than the movie uh tarantino pretty much goes off on uh these tangents like when he introduces the cliff booth character he spends like 20 pages where cliff booth is just talking about the movies he likes and like none of that is in the movie Mm -hmm. like like if it were in the movie it'd be like wow this is tedious but it works it works well in the book so cool man i'm i'm excited to uh to dive into that so um tarantino was a a guest on a podcast called the big picture and he um i think it was like a two hour long podcast and he talked a bunch about uh this new novel and then like some of his future plans and some of those plans involved um, creating a stage play version of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So this is like a story that he is not quite ready to completely let go now that he has this novelization out. Um, evidently, he actually wrote this play version uh, like right after writing this, uh, right after finishing the script for the for the movie. Um, and before he even let his agents read the film script, he wrote a stage play and then he wrote, the, I think, five episodes of Bounty Law, the, the um, sort of fake Western TV show that is within the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood universe that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character Rick Dalton starred on. Um, and Tarantino has, has said before that he wants to actually produce and like make 
real episodes of Bounty Law if somebody will actually finance that. I uh, I don't think that's happened yet, um, so it might happen eventually. But he uh, he said I wanted to I wanted it to exist as a play. Um, I'm able to explore stuff that's not in the movie. The play deals with Italy. And um, he later clarified, he said, just to give you a hint of the play, the whole second act of the play is Rick and Marvin, who are the characters played by DiCaprio and um, Al Pacino, the uh, Marvin Schwartz, the agent character. Uh, Rick and Marvin having dinner with uh, Sergio Corbucci and Nori Corbucci at their favorite Japanese restaurant in Rome. Um, and he says, Rick doesn't have the part yet. Depending on how this dinner goes means whether or not Rick is going to be Nebraska Jim. And Nebraska Jim is the... Uh, spaghetti western character that that you know as you know if you've seen the movie rick does get that part and corpucci is the um the director of that film within this film so uh yeah kind of interesting stuff here chris what do you think about the idea of um of adapting once upon a time in hollywood as a stage play now that you've had a chance to sort of um you know see what it's like in a, a different medium than the one it was originally intended for yeah you know it's interesting because tarantino uh... I think like what one of the things he does best is dialogue. So in theory, a play could work, but also, you know, film is such a different medium than stage, which is, you know, the most obvious thing I've ever said, but it needs to be said <laughs> that, you know, you can't, um, you can't edit a, a stage play the way you edit a film. And right. a lot of, a lot of what makes Tarantino's films so great is that, you know, that, that editing where, you know, he's cutting around and, uh, you know, it's cutting to different people and it's showing us different things and the way he'll do these things where it's like someone will mention, it's almost like a family guy thing where someone mentions something and it like cuts to that thing happening. Mm -hmm. And I apologize for comparing to a family guy, <laughs> but that was like the most obvious example that came to my head. But, um, so yeah, on one level, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, 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 uh, I'm in the tank for Tarantino. I, I will pretty much check out anything he does at this point. So if he did a stage play, I would, happily watch it but uh yeah i don't i don't really know how that would that would work compared to his movies yeah he somebody asked him you know on that podcast if he was planning on actually putting on a production of this play and he said that that's the idea i mean we'll see what happens but my plan is to do this book uh, i just did this then finish the cinema book and then the next thing on the list is to start thinking about the play i'm not going to think about my last movie for a while i'm doing other things right now so he's he's famously said that he's going to uh, essentially retire from filmmaking after directing his 10th movie. And he has not announced what that is going to be yet, but it sounds like there's going to be some time there. And then the cinema book that he mentioned has been this sort of long discussed book uh, that he's writing called cinema speculation, which is like a, a deep dive into the movies of the seventies. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that. Cause it's, it's not really him, you know, telling a traditional narrative. It's more like film criticism kind of stuff. So um, that book is, uh, according to him, almost done. So I'm not sure exactly when we'll see that, but sometime soon. Uh, and then moving on into one other uh, Tarantino-related thing. Elsewhere in that podcast, he talked about um, potentially creating other novelizations of more of his movies. So he said that when he uh, he, he's always really loved those old paperback movie novelizations that that sort of would be on the the spinner racks at convenience stores when he was growing up. And he said, uh, I thought to myself, well, shit, I ought to do one of those for one of my movies. So my first thought was Reservoir, Dog, uh, Reservoir Dogs, because that's a mystery crime section in the bookstore. I mean, it's right there. And I even wrote like two chapters of a Reservoir Dogs uh, novelization. But then I thought, 
blah 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 he, he basically decided that once upon a time in hollywood was po- was popular and people seemed to like it and he had a ton of research material so he just decided to to do that uh, as his first novelization but when he was asked if he was interested in in you know actually following through on uh, novelizations of any of his other movies he said hopefully i'll do this quite a bit um i don't know if i'm gonna do every movie i've ever done but i can definitely see the idea of a reservoir dogs novel um chris off the top of your head are there any uh, existing tarantino movies that you would want to read novelizations of more than another, uh, you know, another, all of them. Give me them all. I, I if he, <laughs> you know, I mean, technically Jackie Brown is already a book because he adapted that from an Elmore Leonard book. But I honestly, if he wanted to like go back and turn all his, his films into novels, I would, I would happily read, especially based on what I've read so far about once upon a time in Hollywood, because it's not going to be, if he does them like he did this, it's not going to be like, you know, your standard novelization where it's like, Oh, these are just the scenes from the film. He's going to actually, you know, flesh all this stuff out and create a completely different experience. So I, you know, I'm all in if he does something like that. And then one more question, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, uh, uh, pop this on you, Chris, without any, um, any discussing this beforehand. He also Tarantino in this interview said, what I would like to do though, at some point is find a movie that is not mine and do a novelization of that. Uh, it has to be something that I could really go my own way, but not completely upend the apple cart. And he did not give any examples there. But are there any non-Tarantino movies that you think that he might, uh, that you would want to read, you know, uh, that you think maybe would be a good fit for his sensibilities, maybe a different filmmaker or something um, that sort of uh, screams like a good connection there? Oh, man, that's tough because... I feel like the go-to would be like, ah, something like violent and something about crime because this movie does so much. But like, I would love if he was like, I'm turning when Harry met Sally into a novel. <laughs> like I would absolutely, I would, you know, it would be just amazing. Quentin Tarantino is when Harry met Sally. It's like, this is <laughs> very strange, but if he were to do that, I would, I would read that too. <laughs> Sign me up. All right. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. Okay. Uh, all right. So let's talk a little bit about, um, well, actually all, all of the remaining stories that we're going to talk about are um, linked to the, the Fast and Furious franchise in some way. So let's talk about Dwayne Johnson's new project. He just announced yesterday, um, there was a report that came out that he is developing a Santa-centric holiday action movie that he's going to be starring in. Um Chris, I, I regret to ask you, can you tell me what is what what is the deal with this movie? Man, this this story broke me yesterday. I mean, I'm already in a bad mood, but this was the one that like really put me over the top. And I, I should add that, you know, I like Dwayne Johnson. He seems like a nice guy. Uh he can, you know, he could also clearly like pick me up and rip me in half. So I don't want to upset Dwayne Johnson. But <laughs> when when this news broke, it came accompanied with the the addendum, the the footnote that uh, I'm going to read the actual quote because I could never I could never do it justice. Uh, they said, quote, Amazon said, quote, this unique concept represents a property that could encompass not only a tentpole film, but could reach beyond entertainment across multiple industries and businesses. In other words, this isn't just a film. It's a it's a product. It's content. And uh, it's just, just reading stuff like that really fucking just makes me sad it's like is this is this what's left at this point is this yeah because 
like the you know it's so transparent like of course uh hollywood wants to make big franchises and make lots of money off stuff that's like part and parcel of the whole thing but to just like explicitly come out and say it you know right. not even before the the movie even exists like in the very beginning phase of the announcement of the thing to frame it that way there's something really depressing about it's that. just it's exhausting and it's like i'm not naive i know you know hollywood is a business movies are a business people make movies to make money but to be so like, ah, oh, I can't wait to turn this into a brand is just like, ah, yeah. oh, man, it just makes me want to like lie down in the street <laughs> at rush hour. But anyway, <laughs> this movie, um, it's red one. We don't really know a whole lot about it. We know it's a Christmas themed uh, feature project that's described as, quote, a globe trotting four quadrant action adventure comedy. And even that is just like, Jesus Christ, can they <laughs> like imagining a whole new universe to explore within the holiday genre? So it just sounds like they're trying to make like the Christmas cinematic universe mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. with Dwayne Johnson. And oh man, I, I just I, I don't really have anything else to say about this. I just want it. I want to die. Basically. <laughs> well, you know, uh, what's his name? Chris. Um, uh, uh, Kurt Russell, excuse me, um, you know, uh, who has starred in some of these Fast and Furious movies with Dwayne Johnson has already played Santa Claus in these Netflix movies, the, the Christmas Chronicles, I think is what they're called. Right. Um, so, you know, the idea of like um, an established actor jumping in to play Santa Claus or, you know, some Santa adjacent character in a big sort of broad thing it's certainly not only been done before but it's been done before very very recently so the idea of of dwayne johnson like trying to tap into this to the christmas market and like exploit that from a business perspective is not super surprising it is as we said before a little bit depressing um i guess to to sort of broaden the scope of this conversation a little bit chris um you mentioned you're a fan of dwayne johnson i i sort of um i find my fandom of him uh waning a little bit and i think it, it we were talking about this on our slack channel a little bit it seems to me that dwayne johnson has has concerned himself more with being you know a, a global businessman than necessarily like uh, picking great um, projects to be in if you were to um offer some unsolicited advice to, to how to get dwayne johnson's career to like your ideal place for it what would you recommend? I mean, what, what can yeah. he do? You know, it's it's tough because I don't want to give him advice because he's a, like a billionaire. So he's doing fine without me. <laughs> Absolutely. But I agree with you that, you know, when I say I like Dwayne Johnson, it's like I, I'm, I like that. It, I like him as like a person. He seems like a good guy, mm -hmm. but he clearly doesn't seem to actually give a shit about like the craft of acting like. I feel like the best example of like a wrestler turned actor recently, at least is Hulk Dave Hogan. No, <laughs> that's number two. But number one would be Dave Bautista, who he seems like he's legitimately interested in learning about, you know, the art of acting. And he's, he wants to stretch himself and he wants to take on challenging roles. And it's like, yeah, he could easily just be, you know, the big muscle guy. Cause he's a huge guy, but he's, you know, he's willing to try different things. And I really wish Dwayne Johnson would do that. And I feel like at the start of his career, he did because he did like Southland tales. And I don't know if you've seen Southland tales, mm -hmm, yet, but I like, have. but he's like actually acting in that movie and he's good in it. Like he's playing against type. He's not playing, you know, the rock. Mm -hmm. And it just seems like he tried that at the start of his movie career. And then he was like, you know what? it's a lot easier if I just play myself. And 
you know, who am I to tell him he's wrong? Because like I said, he's, he's making a ton of money doing mm-hmm. that, but it's just, it's disheartening where every time he makes a new movie now, it's like, well, he's just going to be the rock. I feel like Ryan Reynolds does that too. Anytime Ryan Reynolds, like a new movie now, it's like there, he's just being Ryan Reynolds. He's just being Deadpool basically. And yeah. it's, it's lazy. It's like, come on. Try yeah. I think, new. I think we're disappointed because we see potential there. Right. Yeah. And it's like, we know that there's something more that could happen. They just choose not to. And, and like, I, yeah, well, I guess we understand why, but it's just, um, yeah, it's a, it's a little sad. Like, uh, uh, you know, we like movies. We want to see people who are good at making movies make good movies. And then yeah. they're, I don't know. It's like we all love an easy payday, but come on, man. At least do one <laughs> difficult thing. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of Will Smith, really. Like that that period where, um, you know, he sort of started making like, quote unquote, safe choices and like turned down Django Unchained and stuff like that. That you know, there, there was that period there where it seemed like Will Smith could, if he wanted to sort of revitalize his career and take it to the next level. And he just never really did that. He kind of played it safe the whole way through. And then I feel like Will Smith, Will Smith is not nearly as big of a star and or cultural figure now as he was, you know, like 15 years ago. And it didn't have to be that way. Like he, he could have made, you know, some, some more interesting choices along the way. And again, that's like really easy for me to say, like sitting here, uh, whatever backseat driving on his career or whatever, but, um, yeah. yeah, anyway. So, so yes, red one is, uh, Dwayne Johnson said, imagine Hobbs meets miracle on 34th street, which like, whatever, whatever the hell that means. I, I have no idea what that means like does uh, he mean Hobbs and Shaw or does he just mean his character I think like, he means the character which like you know that character is fine uh he has a nice relationship with his daughter so maybe there's like some sort of touching element here I just have to say before we move off of this that um this idea of like a Christmas cinematic universe sounds ridiculous on the face of it but uh what is that movie called uh, Rise of the Guardians which came out I think in 2012 that um uh, one of the the co-directors of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse directed is actually that, but animated. And it's very good. Uh, and I feel like not enough, enough people have seen that movie. So if you are intrigued by this concept, but maybe um, a little hesitant as we are about the whole like business branding aspect of it being like so uh, transparently included in this early stage, maybe go seek out Rise of the Guardians because it's it's definitely worth your time. Um, all right, so let's move on to uh, to what our old pal Vin Diesel is up to. And, uh, you know, Vin Diesel likes to talk a lot, Chris. And, and what is he saying now? Oh, boy, Vin Diesel. Uh, I love Vin Diesel. He's another one. I'm just like, boy, I like Vin Diesel, even though <laughs> I don't think he's a very good actor or anything like that. But Vin Diesel loves talking about movies he wants to make. And he loves talking about sequels he will eventually make i like i don't know if you remember this ben but last year he was like talking about a sequel to the last witch hunter and absolutely no one wants that no <laughs> one is like oh is, yeah. is that real was he really doing that i yeah, do not remember there's that. a link in the story where you can see him talking and it's like there's there is no way anyone wants that except vin diesel but anyway um vin diesel uh he has the riddick series there's there's pitch black there's the chronicles of riddick and there's just it's just riddick and um believe it or not even though there are three of these movies none of them are are really financially successful when i was writing the story uh doing my research i learned that the most successful film in the trilogy is the chronicles of riddick and that is still considered a box office bomb uh and yet Vin Diesel is out there saying uh they're going to make riddick 4 he said there's even a script already for it and he even says I believe we're shooting that in Australia. In other words, he's saying like this has, you know, the green light and they're going to shoot it in Australia. But again, 
you need to take the things Vin Diesel says with a with a, a grain of salt or maybe like a heaping dose of salt <laughs> because I think these are things that like I you know I I don't want to call Vin Diesel insane but I kind of think he's like, <laughs> like lives in his own world where he's just like yeah that'll happen and mm-hmm. he's like yeah that's happening and no one and you know he's so successful that no one wants to be like. Uh, Mr. Diesel, that's not happening. So he just, <laughs> he just walks around just assuming this stuff is going to happen. And then, uh, you know, his handlers are just hoping he'll forget about it and talk about <laughs> like, you know, hopefully he'll move on to find to be guilty too, or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay. So have you seen the Riddick movies, Chris? Cause I, saw, I, I think I saw the first one and that's it. I saw the first two and they're fun. You know, the, the pitch black is fun. And I, I don't really like Chronos of Riddick, but I appreciate that it's like a big weird, it's basically trying to be like David Lynch's Dune and to go from pitch black, which is like, you know, a pretty straightforward monster movie and then be like, let's make this big weird sci-fi epic. You know, I appreciate swings like that, even if Mm -hmm. they don't always work, but I have not seen the third one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, man, I'm, I'm curious about this because I I really wonder if this is going to be one of those things that he just ends up sort of like speaking into existence and like, uh, if a studio is just like, well, I mean, you know, on paper, this guy's, uh, you know, film career is like billions and billions of dollars in the on the plus side because of the Fast and Furious movies. So I guess he's earned whatever, you know, mid budget we're going to give him for another Riddick movie just to sort of keep him happy or something. Um, so, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll have to see. I wonder if there are any like big Riddick heads out there who are listening to this. I would love if you guys uh, listening love this franchise, if you could like write us an email and let us know what you would want to see happen in Riddick 4. I'm just curious, like what, what uh, story there might be left to tell there because Vin Diesel, I mean, say what you will about the guy, but he, he's a person who puts a ton of thought into mythology and stuff in, in across all of these franchises. So he, uh, he's one of the driving creative forces behind Fast and Furious franchise. And it seems like Riddick is sort of like his, his passion project for like super weird sci-fi stuff. So um, yeah, I'm wondering if, if anybody out there uh, has any, any ideas, but uh, all right, let's talk about our last story, which involves of course the Fast and Furious franchise and uh, F9 is in theaters right now. I'm going to spoil the very end of F9, a, a mid credits scene here. So if you've not seen the, I guess it's technically the 10th Fast and Furious movie because you got to count Hobbs and Shaw in there. Uh, then now is the time to pause and go watch the movie and then come back. So uh, Justin Lin has said that, uh, or actually it was Vin Diesel himself who said that the the final Fast and Furious movies are going to be uh, starting filming in January of, of this coming year. Uh, he said, I'm doing Fast 10 part one and part two, the finale of the saga in January. Um, so that really makes it seem like it is going to be uh, like a two-part thing instead of like Fast 10 and Fast 11, um, if anybody cares about the semantics of that <laughs> of that difference. Um, but interestingly, the idea of Justice for Han, which is a concept we've talked about a lot on the podcast, has not been uh, really fulfilled in F9. So those of you who stuck around for the mid-credits of F9 realize or, or know that uh, Sung Kang's character Han shows up and and uh, basically comes face-to-face with Jason, Sa- uh, Jason Satham's character, um, Deckard Shaw very, very briefly in that mid credit scene. And then it just cuts to black. So it sort of like teases this uh, epic confrontation between these two characters after Statham's character seemingly killed Han many movies ago. Um, but uh, in a new interview with The Hollywood Reporter, uh, Sung Kang, the, the actor who plays Han, was saying, uh, Justice for Han um, has not been served. It hasn't been served because 
someone that is dear to Han, Gal Gadot's Giselle, who, desi- who died in um, Fast and Furious 6, is not here anymore. So how is that resolved? And if I find the man responsible for it, Luke Evans Owenshaw, what do I do to him? So we'll see. And this sort of uh, made me think, Chris, because I know that you're not like a, a scholar of this franchise, but... Um, Luke Evans' character is the villain in Fast and Furious 6, and he did not kill Giselle, but he was, like, I guess, um, loosely responsible for her death because he was the, the villain in that movie. And then Deckard is the one who, uh, who like, you know, tried to close the circle of revenge and ended up killing Han. So uh, I always just assumed that justice for Han and the, the Han's return and all of that was just going to be this big face-off between the Han and, uh, and Jason Statham characters. But it sounds like the real, um, you know, motivation the real revenge here that han is going after is luke evans character the the sort of um almost like joke of a brother at this point who's just been injured and like sort of a non-factor in this franchise for the past couple movies so uh that just sort of recalibrated my expectations for where this franchise is going to go in the future um justin lynn talks a little bit more about that in the article that i will link to in the show notes i'm not going to read this out now because we're running a little bit long already but um yeah just sort of some interesting stuff there uh chris i was talking to you before we recorded here and you said you had not seen uh, the fate of the furious or F nine yet, but um, are, are you planning on doing like a, uh, a big catch up anytime soon? Or are you just going to wait until the, the final movies come out and maybe catch up at that point? What do you think? Yeah, I think my plan, uh, I don't want to call it a plan because that makes me, makes it sound like I really thought about this and I have not at all, but <laughs> I, I, I think I'll wait for the inevitable, like big 4k box set that has mm. every single movie. And then I'll mm-hmm. be, I'll get that. And then I'll sit down one day and I'll watch them and I'll say, this was a mistake. I don't like these that much, but that's, that's my plan for now. <laughs> All right. I love it. Well, uh, yeah, if you actually do hate them, then just mail me that box set I've and then everybody s- I, will be good. I have seen most of them and I don't, I don't hate them. I just don't, I don't love them as much as everyone else. I don't know. I just, I feel like I'm missing something. I don't know what it is I'm missing, but when I sit down and watch them, I'm like, these are fine. I don't get, I, I don't, I don't get it. And that's fine. You know, I don't have to get everything. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, if, if, if you would like to send us an email, uh, like I said, uh, you know, positing your, your Riddick, uh, Riddick four theories, we would love to hear from you guys. If you want to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics, you can do that, uh, at Peter at slash film.com. And that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of slash film daily. You can find more about all of these stories that we mentioned on today's show at slash film.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. This podcast is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. Uh, you can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.